0: Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn.
1: And I'm Pastor Scott Stigmeyer.
0: And we are here this week to talk about handling criticism in the church. Um, I think that this is one of these areas where it's very difficult to teach at the seminary simply because it is so kind of defined or shaped by by experience. There's so many different interactions uh, between personalities, how much of it's theological, how much of it is just you know moon phases or whatever the whatever the topic may be. Um, but just to just to kind of get us started started off, Scott, uh, what do you think of when you think of this uh, this phrase? Uh, handling criticism or criticism in the church. What does that mean?
1: Okay, well, I think that um, I think that we got this phrase because um, we'd been doing a little bit of facebooking with some friends and some younger pastors, some guys that are newer to the ministry, and um, and this is something you did and asked them, you know, the questions like. What are some topics that that you really need to hear about? And I I just happened to remember looking through them, and there were lots of great ideas, and we'll get to a bunch of them, I'm sure. But one of them was handling criticism, and and so I, by that I think what we're going to talk about is not so much gossiping and criticism back and forth amongst parishioners, but for pastors who are often the targets of criticism, how to how to cope, and right. How, just simply how to bear it, and 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 I think you're right. I think that experience and maturity are the best teachers. But there are some tips, and there are some things that can probably be said for younger pastors, and by which I I don't necessarily mean age younger, but newer pastors who are, do not have as much experience in the ministry as as others. And we, you, and I, who've been in it, you know, we've been here doing this for almost twenty years. Um, we can we can maybe share a little bit of insight and wisdom.
0: I think that's true. Uh, we can give it a give it a crack at least. Um, maybe we can start with uh, what kinds of criticism does the does the pastor receive? Uh, sure. Pastors receive well in many respects because the pastor is the he's kind of the face of the congregation. The pastor receives criticism for things that he has control over, things that are given to him to do, which someone may or may not like, and things that he has no control over. So I may, I may be criticized for um, what office hours I keep, that mm-hmm. you know they, they aren't convenient for th- whomever the individual is. Uh, I may be criticized because my sermons are too short or too long. I may be criticized because we practice closed communion. Um, Mm -hmm. And each of those and how they're sort of addressed is handled very differently, at least from my perspective. And in many ways, I would say that as a pastor, I have to start with, uh, with a very... A very simple, basic understanding, and while this may be obvious, I don't actually think it is. Is always a very simple, basic understanding that my congregation is not my enemy,
1: right? That right. my
0: congregation, even when someone is criticizing me, um, and whether they're right or wrong, they are not. They are not the enemy. They are not the the problem. Whatever that whatever it may be, uh, they are God's sheep. They are God's, they are God's people whom I have been called to serve and care for. Uh, and I, at least for me, I know that because this is such a public office, because it is so easy and, and tempting to, to take things very personally, that when someone criticizes me, um, it's, it's hard not to kind of push back. Yeah, and 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 really, and really take that. How do I how do I act then as a pastor to this person, uh, and not as someone that's just on the receiving end of of a bunch of complaints? It's, ugh, yeah, it's hard. It well, is really hard. I won't deny it.
1: No, it's it, it it it. There's no denying it for sure. And I don't think either one of us. And you know, there are probably very few. Um, who are truly good at this, at this particular thing, and you know we're we're all learning, right? I mean, we're all yep. learning how to do these. I I mean, one of the things that I've tried to to adopt is the idea of not getting defensive, and that's real hard because you want to immediately, you immediately want to put up the dukes and you know and maybe um, punch back or defend yourself right away. And, and I'm not saying, you know, when I give it, when I give a piece of advice like this, I'm not saying that I am always successful at it myself, but I do think try not to immediately become emotional and defensive because no matter what it is, I mean, whether it's a personal thing about you or whether it's um, a theological thing, we, if we go into battle mode too quickly, I think that just escalates the emotions. And, and so to just stay calm and listen and not go on the defense immediately and lash back. I think that that gives you, um, you know, the, an opportunity to slow down and maybe, because sometimes, you know, I hate to use this word, but the Proverbs talk about how to argue with a fool. And basically they say, don't. You know, you know. Don't don't try to don't argue with the fool. Don't don't. You know, I've got in my. I actually looked this up. I have in mind Proverbs twenty six verse four. When arguing with fools, don't answer their foolish arguments, or you will become as foolish as they are. So, so we immediately want to just punch back, and sometimes that maybe is unavoidable. But I think a lot of times we can just. Hmm. Okay. That's that's your insight. It's interesting. You know, this. That I hear you. I hear this. Or your, that's your opinion. Um. Your your opinion isn't the only opinion. It, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. If it's a theological concern, I mean, if it's a doctrinal error, then you have a you have a duty to rebuke and correct people. But there is a way to go. There are different ways to go about that too. Even that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and maybe it is. It is worth trying to think about criticism that you receive as a pastor in a couple different categories. Yeah. Uh, one is, one may be doctrinal or theological criticism. And the, the issue that, I, that I, I feel like I address every week, it's probably not every week, but it sure feels like it sometimes. The issue I address every week or almost every week is that of closed communion. Yeah. You know, why are you so unloving? why yeah. why can't we commune anybody and obviously that's a topic we'll have to take up in more detail at some point but but that is a that is a theological criticism that really isn't about me at all um or very little at least um but it is definitely a theological issue now let's take that from a uh another criticism and say how come you didn't see so and so who's a shut-in for six weeks yeah i thought you tried to see them every month well that's a different kind of criticism that yeah. one that one um is a matter of of practice and how i am uh, practicing the the ministry here one is is and obviously they're both theological in different ways but one is 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 doctrinal in the sense that they don't understand our our teaching. They don't they don't understand our doctrine, and so and because they don't understand it, they're they're um, they're critical of it. Yeah. Or they do understand it and reject it. That's also yeah. possible, of course. Yeah. Um, the other is well, maybe I maybe there is room for criticism. Maybe I haven't seen someone for uh, for six weeks. When I do, try very hard to to visit all of our shut-ins every month. So, what's my what's my answer to that? Well, my answer might be, "You're right. I haven't seen them. I'm sorry." And and to not, um, I, I I don't know. I am uncomfortable with with not. Uh, I don't even know how to say this. As a pastor, I have to be fully conscious of my own weaknesses and failings and that my people see and experience my weaknesses and failings on a regular basis. Yeah. If I act as if they aren't true or they aren't ever valid criticisms, then I am going to come across as kind of standoffish, as uh, as above the fray or whatever, and not as a fellow wounded sinner seeking to... Uh, uh, seeking to bring Christ's mercy albeit imperfectly because I'm a sinner that's
1: mm-hmm.
0: that that's, that's a tension that I feel very much and and in my mind at least the struggle is I don't want to apologize for the ministry obviously but I am comfortable well I am perfectly willing to say Yes, I have messed up. Yes, I didn't handle that well. And how? And what is good? What is good leadership, or what is responding to criticism in a way that's actually going to teach this person? And maybe that's a maybe that's kind of a a, a theme as I try to try to address this. Is what is my goal as a pastor when someone is critical of either me or of the church? What's my what am I trying to accomplish at the end of this?
1: I'd go back to what you said um, you know, a moment ago, that there are different categories of criticism. Um, Jesus received criticism. Jesus received so much criticism that he was put on trial and convicted and condemned to die. <laughs> right. So the apostles received criticism. Jesus didn't go around trying to make uh, mend fences with every single one of his critics because sometimes the right thing will offend. Yep. Saying the right thing sometimes and – and here I'm not talking about personal opinions or private preferences. I'm talking about the Word of God and specifically doctrinal things – that doesn't mean we can preach doctrine in a, in a real obnoxious way because people have to listen to us and blah, blah, blah. But I, but you can still be winsome and firm. And I think Jesus probably was to the weak. He was very winsome, but to those who came across to him as arrogant know-it-alls, he was at times quite offensive to them, whether he was intending to be or not. So sometimes I think we're just going to have to accept that, that that comes with the office. It comes with any anybody in any kind of leadership will know that's true, and it's certainly true of pastoral ministry. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. I, th- and I think the second category about the criticisms of our failings. Now, we're not talking about moral failings, but right. just, just the fact that we are human beings, we are flawed. And what I tell people sometimes is, the pastor of a typical, a, a sole pastor of a typical Missouri Synod congregation, if you don't have like lots and lots of staff, pastoral staff that you can delegate things to, you wear a lot of different hats. You have to be good with the elderly shut in, sick visits. You have to be good with children. You have to be good at preaching and administration and writing and all the different things Conflict mediation, some kind of pastoral counseling. There are many, many hats that you have to wear as a past, soul pastor of a congregation, and I, I just remind people that I'm going to be good at some of those things and not as good at other things, and I can't do all of them equally well. And and I think if you sort of, sort of it is some of it is sort of expectation management. Maybe in a, and I can't speak, hmm. I can't speak for your church. You know, I mean, I think the goal of visiting all your shut-ins monthly is a good goal. But, you know, if you, what if you have a hundred shut-ins? It, it, then, then that's all you're going to do. When are you going to write sermons? When are you going to write right. b- Bible studies? So that the expectations might need to be managed too. That That's just another way to look at it.
0: Sure. Well, and, and it is helpful in the broad spectrum to, to be teaching your congregation about about vocation, about what is your vocation as the pastor, what are your responsibilities, what are the things as a pastor that you can do, what are the things that you as a pastor have to do, and what are the things as a pastor that it is maybe a dumb idea for you to do. If I am in charge of figuring out the electrical system at church, uh, that is not going to end well. Right. Put it that way. Right. But uh, I am in charge of preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments on Sunday morning. I can't, I can't give that to someone else and say, "I'm sorry, I had too many shut-ins to do." You go preach this week, right? Um, that's that is my that's my call. That's my responsibility. Um, in many respects, if you look at how how pastors have how the role of the pastor in the Christian congregation has changed. In the last 200 years, I think we would find a dramatically different picture today than we once did. Well, one of the books that I wanted to recommend for this episode is a book called Pastors in Transition, Why Clergy Leave Local Church Ministry by Dean Hodge and Jacqueline Wenger. This was a study that was done maybe 12 13 years ago something like that major study of why clergy leave local parish ministry and then asking the question what are the what are the causes for it, uh, it so basically this meant looking at people who were parish pastors but have either gone into some other type of service institutional chaplaincy uh, something else or have left have left the ministry entirely, and have gone on to look at something, uh, gone into a secular field. A part of what their study did was look at how churches have changed, and this is where I think is quite instructive for us when it comes to criticism. Churches are, generally speaking, much more educated and are much, are, are much more educated and are therefore much less likely to trust their pastors much like doctors are you'll find in the medical profession. So as a pastor today, I am going to receive criticism or a type of criticism that would have been nigh unto unknown even a few even a few years ago. So so how does that play into this criticism thing? Well, I think it the the play is that what we're facing is uh, is not something that has been as commonly understood as it has in years past. Not that pastors haven't received criticism before, because obviously they have, but it is definitely a different kind and a different level than what we've seen before. Have you found that to be true, Scott? Am I on the right path there?
1: I think that's an excellent point. I certainly see that, too. But I would add to that and say that a lot of our folks are also exposed to radio and television preachers or celebrity preachers like Rick Warren or Bill Hybels. These super mega churches, either right. are people who are lis- listening to their podcasts or they're um, maybe watching them, if, if any of these guys are on TV, they're listening to them on the radio shows and they're reading their books. And so they you know there is a certain expectation both in terms of content and in style that is maybe not going to fit well in in every way with Lutheran tradition and practice. And I don't sure. just mean I don't just mean worship practice and so forth. I mean let's you know I I will be happy to say to a guy like Rick Warren or Bill Hybels You know, even though I disagree with them theologically, they're clearly skilled orators. Sure. I mean, they have a a certain skill and a style that is appealing to people that may or may not have anything to do with me. Or, uh, you know, and so sometimes I think, you know, in in the past it would have been Billy Graham or Oswald Hoffman. Right. Boy, you know, I can listen to Ozzy Hoffman on the Lutheran Hour and listen to him preach all day long. But when our pastor preaches, you know, it's hard to stay awake. Right. Well, You know, we're being compared to celebrity preachers, celebrity pastors, and that is also part of why the criticisms come, and the pressure is there to be all things to all people.
0: And I guess that what this really comes down to is, as a pastor, I have to manage my expectations, and and assume that just because I'm a pastor and I've been theologically trained and I've got all of this great background and education and everything that does not mean that Everyone sitting in the pew is going to automatically take everything that I say as gospel truth Um, But that that is a trust that is going to be built over time and in some respects Criticism can also be a sign of trust. In many cases uh, a person is not going to be comfortable criticizing you until they have built built enough until they know you well enough to do so. And so in a, in oh, wow. a kind of a weird way, criticism is also a sign that you may be doing the right thing, that you are building trust, that you are, uh, that you are becoming a part of this community, a part of this place. And that now that they feel comfortable to to level criticism against you, again, whether it's something that you're at fault for or not, that is actually a sign that that things are that things are cooking and that things are going well because they're listening to what you're saying and doing. And even if the answer isn't exactly what you wanted, it is it is still a sign that there's that there's things happening and that that's good.
1: Well, and I would even add something, kind of the corollary to this, Todd, is not just how do we handle criticism, but how do we handle praise? Oh, yeah, right. That's you true. know, I mean, because you need to be just as you need to be object. When people level criticisms at you, first thing I, you must do is not take it personally. Not yet, anyway. It may not, even if they are being personal in it. They may have issues going on in their lives. They maybe are battling cancer, or a, a delinquent child, or they may have so much other pressures in their life that you just become an easy target. So don't be, don't don't let it get to you. Develop a bit of a thick skin, but you need to let that thick skin be there too when they heap on the praises, because that can easily go to your head. And be careful of the people who immediately shower you with praise. Um, especially when you're brand new, I'm not saying be aware. I'm not, I'm not trying to teach young pastors to be cynical, but I do think that just as much as we have to have, have a set a strategy or some tactics for handling criticism, we also need to have a little bit of a thought through strategy for handling excessive praise and what that can do to a, to a pastor's spiritual life as well.
0: Absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, by, by taking praise, it's very easy, for instance, to feel like if I'm being praised, I'm being praised because everything is awesome and yeah. because I am awesome, therefore, to quote the movie. Um, but if you take that, the other side is going to come back. And now when you are criticized for something, you are going to take it personally in a way that isn't going to be healthy either. Yeah, as a pastor, there does have to be, and, and, and cynicism isn't the right word, but there does have to be a sense of recognizing that that praise and criticism come and go. Yeah. And we all need positive feedback. We're not, I'm not talking about that. And and that may be another good topic for us to, to look at: is where do you receive constructive criticism? Where do you receive Praise. Where are you going to be built up as a pastor? That that I think is a really really good question, um, and that may not happen as much from from the day to day conversations you have with your people. I'm not sure. I, I I think there's a lot more we could talk about with that, but we're starting to run a little bit long, Scott. Um, I would like to at least uh, bring up a couple things. I'm I'm sure we haven't finished this topic. If there are Parts of this that you'd like like for us to explore more, you can find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash six. And you can give us feedback at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. Uh, I hope you will uh, make a point of doing so for us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the friend of the show for this week, is our mutual friend Molly Hemingway. Molly writes at The Federalist, which is a, uh, an online magazine or journal. Uh, she's written, oh, so many wonderful things. She, uh, uh, her most recent piece was a, uh, a rather uh, unique perspective on Fifty Shades of Grey. This, this I hesitate to even call it a movie, but I'll call it a movie. Uh, this movie that was, uh, that was released a couple weeks ago. So Molly Hemingway, she is, uh, she's read. Do you have a favorite piece that she has written of late, Scott, or something else? I know you know Molly probably as well as I do.
1: Well, I love reading all of her articles. I, you know, I check the Federalist on a regular basis and I read many of the writers, but I always read, I always read Molly and she's always got, she, she often writes on religion topics and she often writes on topics that have to do with sexuality or feminism and um, men and women's relationships. And I just think she has a really sane approach and not, not to mention a very, uh, witty writing style that I enjoy so so she's definitely a friend of the show. I think she gave us a shout out on Twitter when we first were starting up, so we want to thank her for that.
0: sure, absolutely uh, for years, she wrote at a uh, at a website called getreligion.org. and and get religion is basically a a media criticism site where they look at how how uh, modern media approaches topics of religion and most often misappropriate topics of religion. So, uh, so she's done a lot of, a lot of good work over the years. Thank you, Molly, for all of that. Finally, what is bringing joy this week? As we are talking about, about receiving criticism and, and kind of taking the long view in pastoral care, uh, one of the books, or sets of the books that I have that I have really found beneficial over the last few years for me, is a series of books or letters, really written by a uh, 20th century theologian named Herman Zassa. Uh This is a uh, letters to Lutheran pastors. There are three volumes. Uh, I have the first two. I haven't picked up the third volume yet. But these were letters, kind of like circular letters. Uh, Dr. Feuerhahn wrote wrote one of the introductions, uh, said we really almost could call them epistles. Uh, These were letters that he wrote to Lutheran pastors about topics that he considered of great concern to Lutheranism as a whole. He was a pastor uh, in Germany at the State Church in Germany, briefly joined the Free Church in Germany, and then ended up uh, late 40s, I want to say, teaching at the Lutheran Seminary in Australia, where he was for for the rest of his time. Uh, and he is, if not the brightest light, certainly one of the brightest lights of the 20th century, uh, in terms of in terms of Lutheranism. And these these letters deal with theological topics, pastoral topics, issues facing the facing the world, and they span about 30 years, maybe something like that. Quite a while. And so, if you want to get a picture of what ministry was like in the 20th century and what the issues facing kind of world Lutheranism were, you really can't go, can't do any better than these, than these letters by Herman
1: Sasa. You can find them in the show notes.
0: Let's bring in and you joy, uh, Scott.
1: You know, a couple weeks ago, you mentioned that you're kind of a pen, uh, a pen fanatic or a pen addict, a particular um, fountain yeah. pens in particular. Well, um sort of in a similar line i'm not so much a pen addict but i am kind of a notebook addict um i like to write uh, I, sometimes i get away from writing longhand and it's some it's something i'm trying to get back to you know cuz we just type everything or text everything right and um so i used to very religiously keep a journal on these moleskin journals they're they're they come in different colors but they're usually black and then they have like an elastic band that that holds them shut they're very very nice they fold down flat a lot of journals or a lot of booklets like this you know they have the hump in the middle where the where the two pages join but these fold down nice and flat so you can write all the way across the page and i really love that and i fill up a bunch of them with all kinds of my notes and ideas and diary type entries but Um, I found kind of a collector's edition um, that's based on the Lord of the Rings. So I've got this brand new, fresh, I know, this brand new, fresh moleskin notebook with, um, you know, the Hobbit, some images from the Hobbit on it. And I am just so pumped to finish my other one so I can start writing in this new journal. That's what's making me happy today, Todd. I love (laughs) it. I thought you'd like that. I love it. I use
0: a... uh... I use a similar notebook. Uh, I have moleskins and have used them in the past. Um, there is actually a very funny, uh, a very funny video. I'll try and find it for the show notes about how do you pronounce it. Is it moleskin? Is it moleskine? Um, and uh, the company that makes it actually put out a video with the different ways to pronounce it. I'll try to find that. But that um, is fun. But I use a, a different company right now. The the journal that I use is by uh, the name of it is Baron Sig. And the paper is a little bit heavier than moleskin paper. It is, so it's a little bit more fountain pen friendly. But, uh, mm-hmm. yep, I am, okay. I am with you on journals. I could, I could cost you a lot of money, Scott. Yeah. I don't know if <laughs> it, you probably knew that already, but, uh, but that's fun. So, bringing joy letters, letters to Lutheran pastors and Moleskine journals mm-hmm. and whatever else it might be. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this week, and we will see you next week. Take care.